This is the Evolution Exchange podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today I'm your host. Okay, and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. We've got a great lineup today and a fantastic topic with lots of good questions. So looking forward to this one. The topic we'll be talking about is called the best way to scale a team. And the guest we have on today, we've got Nicole, who's a, a product art manager at Product Madness. Uh, Pete, who's an outsource producer at Lucid Games. Arjun, who is a game producer at Sega Hardlight. And Christopher, who is the chief operating officer at Remedy Entertainment. So before we jump into the questions that each of our guests have got for us today, we're going to start with some introductions. So, Nicole, please could you kick us off with your introduction? Yes. Hey, hey, all. I'm, I'm Nicole. Uh, I've been into product madness for almost nine years right now. I started in the uh, marketing team. I also worked on the user acquisition and now I'm working in the product team. I have a different background from most of people who works in art for games. I'm not an artist, I'm a designer. What uh, quite helped me right now in my position where I, I love to think about uh, processes and the uh, in the way to to make the the pipeline better um i also have a, a background as a um, um, software engineer so that also helped me to understand how the engine works and how how putting all together make a great games so yeah i think that is pretty much about me <laughs> amazing thank you very much nicole uh pete let's come to you Yep, so I'm Pete, I'm outsource producer at Lucid Games. Um, I'm in my seventh year on, on this side of the fence in the industry. Um, it seems like a long time ago now, but uh, this is when I knew uh, Christoph actually. I used to work as, uh, do the same thing as you, Andrew, I used to work as a recruiter for Amicus, uh, working in games. And I was looking for something different, so I, I moved into an outsource manager job at real time which was largely recruitment to begin with but over time it involved outsource and production management uh, fused with the role um, a lot of what i do really is just sourcing and finding the best partners to work with i do all the administration and management around that i do a lot of things around workflows and best practice with our art directors technical directors that kind of thing uh, but as well as getting them onboarded and offboarded and having workflows around all of that i also manage their output as well so that's when i go into producer mode and i work with you know project directors and game directors on all the usual things a producer should do so it normally involves like uh, having conversations with people encouraging them and perhaps getting the whip out sometimes when we when we need something <laughs> in time but that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty much me yeah yeah perfect thank you pete uh arjun sure so hi hi all i'm arjun and i've been uh, working in mobile free-to-play industry as a game producer for the past six years my background is uh, i've done my master's in art direction um, and then i got the opportunity to work at zynga as an intern and from then on never looked back been working in games since then um, right now i'm working uh, for sega um, that was one of my dreams because uh, I started playing games uh, with like Sonic when I was a kid. And this was always a dream that like one day I'm gonna be working on Sonic. So that's like a full circle for me. Um, 
throughout my career i've worked on free to play games majorly worked on titles such as farmville 2 uh, csr2 um, and right now i'm handling three mobile titles for uh, sonic franchise so that's me amazing thank you very much and uh, last but not least christopher yeah, I'm uh, Christopher here at Remedy Entertainment. I'm the uh, I joined the games industry in 1992, 30 years ago, and since then worked in programming and production roles. Here at Remedy, I oversee the game development teams of uh, 360 internal and uh, 200 external people working on our games right now on five projects. Among them are games like uh, the next Max Payne with Rockstar Games and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's a very interesting and challenging role, and especially to the topic of scaling teams, that's obviously a hot, hot topic for us right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Some great introductions. Uh, well, we'll dive straight into it then. We'll come with our, our first question, which is going to come from Nicole. So, Nicole, please, can you kick us off? Yes. So, um, well, uh, regarding scaling teams, something that I've been thinking recently is uh, because um, a Product Madness, it's a quite diverse company. We always hire from all over the world, so diversity is, is, is part of the culture. But of course, uh, when when we talk about scaling, it adds a lot of a, a, a spice in the menu <coughs> because uh, you have to deal with different ways to to do things, different ways to communicate. Uh, time zones and everything and the ways to think and uh, so my question is uh, how how diversity can impact scaling what what are your thoughts around it great question does anyone want to uh, anyone want to start off i've got a couple of ideas on it i mean um it was more the question obviously was the role of diversity and obviously you know, my view is that it provides you with a broader range and access to experience, um, different influences, values. Um, it, that obviously has a, the idea is to have a more wide reaching and positive impact on your operations and certainly the content of the product that you have. Um, you know, if diversity and inclusion is like a major proponent or value in, in the team that you have or how your team is structured, then its role is obviously to give you something which has more varied influences, you know, and how you work, how you manage people, what sort of content you produce, how you communicate as well. You kind of get more cherries to pick from. Um, I think the challenge with that is obviously as you have more difference, you can, there's more of those differing ideas which can conflict with each other. Um, although you can have a lot of positive conflict, but I think the key to managing the scaling of that while preserving diversity as well, I think like a lot of things, it comes to your early idea. I don't imagine we, I don't imagine any of us know exactly how much we're going to scale and when and by how much, but in most cases, there'd be some kind of map that you would have where you think, okay, we've got an idea of what kind of products we want to make. We've got an idea of we want what we want our team to look like and we've got an idea of what our values are um and from there you can decide okay how quickly are we going to do it where do we want to get people from what kind of stuff do we want to make and i think those decisions have to come in first before you then actually start scaling because as you then start to scale you've got those values or those those things in mind 
I think where it can come a little unstuck is when people just react to projects that come in and then scale massively and they're not built for it in in many ways you know including things like diversity and inclusion which can I don't want to say become a casualty of it but they may not get the due care and attention really so long story short it's really one of those things that you have to be thinking about early on and always be mindful of when you're growing that team out mm. um i think one of the other things i was going to add about it it doesn't directly answer the question but it's an important side note i think one of the important things that will help us all to kind of achieve good diversity in our teams for the reasons i gave is so much of that work obviously happens before we we start the scaling we start the hiring you know mm -hmm. so it's just always worth people understanding that you know the role of recruitment team and who the target in and schools and universities attending talks to bring in a wider variety of people organizations like women in games championing the role of women in the industry all of those are they're obviously really important and it's good work but it needs to continue because if we don't have diverse pools to draw from, we're never going to get diverse teams. I, I, I think uh, the, the, the topic of diversity is very relevant for games we are doing in AAA because the teams are so big. Because I think smaller teams are often more local teams where all the people are coming from the same locations. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you start scaling your teams, diversity comes automatically because otherwise you can't really fill the needs of the teams you have. And for example, the games we are doing here right now, we, we do that across multiple countries, like locations. And here in Finland, we have less, we have like 55% expats here at Remedy. So uh, so we have diversity coming from that because diversity is not only gender diversity, it's also national cultural mm -hmm. diversity. Yeah. We have like 15 people from Russia, 10 from Ukraine. That's quite a diversity exactly in the current situation. Nice. And And then obviously, Male, female diversity, but also color, uh, skin color, race, race diversity, very much cultural diversity. And I think the the important thing is you need to be very sensitive when you scale up your mm -hmm. team with multicultural context because there is a lot of otherwise kind of smoldering conflicts, like this kind of people talking to each other and understanding different things. For example, here in Finland or in Scandinavia, you have a very flat structure. And the manager is more like a coach and then an enabler. And if you hire people from France or from Spain, where there's a much stronger power distance between manager and employee, it comes across like very difficult. If you hire somebody from Paris, from France or from Spain into a Scandinavian team without prepping an intercultural training, that person is guaranteed to fail because he will manage his team like he would do in his home country. So he would lose them all in the process. The other way around as well, by the way, if you hire a Scandinavian manager and send him into a team with a higher power distance, he would fail as well. So you need, to, if you build teams like that, you need to have these cultural differences in mind and the diversity and what that actually means and how your team actually interacts with each other. I think that's a, that's a thing that becomes especially relevant for teams that are of bigger size when it comes to scaling, because otherwise you'll never fill your talent needs. Great few points. Uh, Arjun, go on, do you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think diversity provides a really massive perspective uh, to products that we build. Um, and I have a relevant example that we had recently where uh, within our team, uh, we are obviously scaling and it's a good mix of uh, different, uh, like people from different uh, regions. 
And uh, one of the things that we started discussing recently was we've never looked at our like actual in-app purchases prices that we offer for our games. And our players are from all over the world uh, because it's live operations and Sonic has a massive reach. Uh, from our end, like we focus mostly on the US and the Europe market and our prices are based on what's economically feasible uh, for those regions. Recently, a lot of conversations started happening about this thing called McDonald's pricing, where a Big Mac burger, uh, even though the product is the same, um, it's the pricing of it is varied across different regions. So you get the same thing, but like depending on the economic strength of the region, the price is uh, matched as per that. So it becomes a lot more easier for the consumer to purchase it in different regions. Um, and I think having that kind of diversity in our team brought that perspective forward, where we started to look at it from that lens that we've never looked at our prices uh, in that manner where uh, maybe like in another country, our startup pack bundle, is it priced at a decent value where people can actually look at purchasing it? Uh, and now we're like looking to experiment with that. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we're gonna get positive results from the study. So, and, and that, that was purely because like we had like a diverse team and had different perspectives. Nicole, to come back to you, obviously it was your question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I mainly agree with everybody. I think uh, diversity just adds to, to any team uh, different perspectives and, uh, and visions and the ways to do things. But it, I think it's important to be uh, mindful about it and, and care about when you're hiring people for, from all over the world, like uh, Christopher said, it's like uh, uh, people, they have different ways to do things. And I, I, I think actually, when we are uh, talking, I was thinking about uh, Pete's next questions about uh, the, the, the pitfalls on the scaling teams. And uh, I think one of them is not paying attention to, to the human factor, you know, to the to the people, because it's not only adding uh, people to, to the company, to the teams, you know, you need to make them work and uh, in, involves communication, involves like uh, how people understand the process and the and ways of work, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely fantastic uh, first question to kick us off some great, uh, great points in there as well. So thank you very much, Nicole. Um, but we'll move on to the second question, which is going to come from Pete. So Pete, please, can you give us your question? Sure. So my question is, what are the biggest pitfalls to scaling your studio and where are the cases where you should not do it? Really interesting because it's like looking at the, the other looking side. Looking at the it. other side, yeah, everyone yeah. talks about here's how you do it, but what's the pitfalls? Where, you know, where yeah. can it go wrong? Uh, Christopher, interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um, uh, scaling your team needs to be ready for that. Basically. I mean, you need enough management leadership personnel who can actually do that. Because the more you scale your team and the more hybrid, let's say multi-location it even might be, the higher the quality of your management team needs to be to provide your teams with guidance, direction, and giving them meaningful empowerment. And what we all know in video games, a lot of people are growing into leadership or director level positions who are actually not really leaders or directors, but more like very, very good principals when mm -hmm. who are not very good leaders. And, and, and then if you try to scale something like that, 
you will see the impact that these people become massive bottlenecks because they will try to micromanage uh, the whole production. They want to be close to everything and they do. In a large scale production of, let's say, uh, when I was working on Need for Speed at EA in the peak, we had like 600 people working on the game across the whole planet. And, uh, and uh, if you then have a, a game director who wants to be involved into absolutely everything into the details, he becomes a massive bottleneck and then everything will get delayed because of that. So the roles of the people evolve a lot if you scale. If you have a game director and a team of a large scale, he, he needs to talk in what is the big picture? What are the emotions we want to transport? He's not talking on feature level even. And that's something you need to train your people with. And if you don't have leadership staff who can do this kind of stuff, you can't scale your team because it will uh, lead to a team that will be massively dysfunctional. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges, actually. Having a team where you have enough management and leadership in a meaningful way in place. Mm. So that feeds into that whole idea of being able to delegate effectively in yeah, that, that, exactly. that's commensurate with how much you're scaling. Been yep. able to let go. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And uh, that's that's uh, when you. Do, I mean, that was the problem. I've seen so many teams that had a great hit with 10, 20 people, and then said, "Great, let's go to 100." And then the cold team imploded after five years. Mm -hmm. And it's always the same reason: the team structure didn't scale. You basically get the same people as before, but just more of them. And then you have a, a wild bunch of people jamming in a big, big garage, and then the output of that is total chaos. So you need wise and smart leadership people, and these are quite scarce resources. So that's what you can say. It's very difficult to find these people. Arjun and Nicole, have either of you um, had any examples in, in your sort of careers or your experiences where you've experienced, you know, a, a time when you shouldn't have scaled or any pitfalls within, you know, when you've been around the company when they've been trying to scale? So I've had uh... Uh, like one of my experiences was where we scaled because we had a couple of years of good profit and I don't think there was a proper logical reasoning behind what are we scaling for uh, mm. and like we scaled because we wanted to become bigger and like there was no plan in terms of if we get 10 more engineers tomorrow what are they going to be working on uh, are we equipped to have those 10 engineers onboarded um, do we have a roadmap built for them? What are they going to be working on? Who's creating that work for them? Uh, who's going to be onboarding them? Um, and that was just sort of an impulse decision that like uh, for other companies, like we should be seen as someone who are growing, uh, but it ended up becoming a massive pain because there was nothing to do for those people. Uh, and obviously uh, the cost is getting uh won by the team uh which they've joined and they have no actual output to give so i think having a solid reason behind why you're scaling is very critical um and it's not something you do it on a whim that's yeah. a very good fit. that's a very good input <laughs> you don't scale for the sake of scaling yeah. <laughs> that's very true I mean, nicole what what are your thoughts yeah, I feel like uh, I think another uh, mistake it's people think if if you just add more people, you automatic automatically increase the productivity, and uh, doesn't work like that. There's so many factors that uh, 
depends like uh, the, the process and again the, the leadership your team structure um some things that we are talking before like the the, the, the governance and um, all these are very very important to uh, and and also like very uh, practical you know like uh, uh it uh, people and culture you you need it, you need to support this scaling so it's not a the only the decision of hiring people you know like a, mm. so I, one you said there at the the very beginning of that point was interesting because i was speaking to a manager the other day and they were saying that they've got an idea of a number they need to scale to but it's, a, mm -hmm. it's important to get there but it's important they don't go past it either and I was like, what do you mean by that? And he was like, well, when we get past this certain number, it was like 80 people from, from whatever they were. When we get past that in the past, things slow down. And the way you said, like, you know, most people think more people you have, more productive you be, but there's more processes involved. There's, you know, it, things do end up bottlenecking and process slow down. I never really thought of it like that. So, uh, and then I was looking forward to getting on this podcast and discussing this. So <laughs> it, it works out quite well. Uh, Pete, obviously your question, to come back to you, what are your thoughts or experiences? Well, the, the, the whole thing really is a balancing act and everything that I thought about with this is literally everything that, that, that everyone has said. Um, you know, I think, you know, you know, Christoph said it himself in terms of like, you know, have it, having, as I said before in the first question, have your roadmap. So have your plan for how it would work before you actually start scaling. Is it going to change? Yes, it's going to change. But if you have a foundation to work from, well, it's exactly that. It's a foundation. Arjun really summed it up when he said, know you why. I mean, that was the first thing I wrote down on my own notes of like, well, why are you doing it? Um, and Nicole made a great point about, you know, also understand, you know, what impact that's going to have on the culture of your team. And I think, so I won't repeat all those things because they've made good points on that. But I think one thing I would add as well is, you know, decide on the cultural aspects as well, because while you want to retain as much of your culture as possible, if you are 10 people and you're doing your, your chair interactive making shadow complex or something like that, then then that's fine. But if you if you go from two figures to three figures, um, as the person you were speaking to the other day, Andrew, there will be some unavoidable changes to culture, even if it's just in structure, management, extra, extra layers of administration or more, you know, some people would say bureaucracy is kind of unavoidable. Mm -hmm because then you're, 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 you're slowly dipping your toes into more corporate territory and there are just inevitable changes that, that come with that. So it might, again, it's making those decisions about where do we want to be? What's the most important things to this company? Is it to make the next big shooter to compete with Destiny or, or do we want to make smaller games like Manifold Garden or something? Um, so, Nicole, you wanted to add something? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I really like uh, when you said about uh, the change as well with the scale, you know, because uh, at the same time that you onboard a lot of new people and they have to absorb the culture, you probably uh, will have a lot of people leaving, you know, because uh, the the company is, is, is changing, is constantly changing with all the, the scaling, you know, and um, is a, a two ways. And, um... I, I, find, I find that a very good input because there's something we need to be aware of when we have a small team and then we decide to grow a lot, the culture will totally change and some mm -hmm. people will walk away because of that yeah. and that's, that's yeah. also okay. 
Yeah. Because some people mm -hmm. just don't want to be corporate because that's something I heard mm -hmm. a lot. We are already at 500 people and then people saying, oh, I don't want to be corporate. Say, what are you <laughs> talking about? We are a Nasdaq listed company. Of course we are corporate. Of course, we don't want to be bureaucratic. That's very clear. Mm -hmm. But we are a corporation and we need to apply some due diligence on that. Very important. Mm -hmm. And for some people who always work their whole life in a 20-person garage band, mm -hmm. maybe they just don't like this and that's okay. And then maybe they do something else. And that's something you need to appreciate. I would say that's normal. Mm -hmm. It's normal. I think the only thing I was going to add as well is that, you know, it sounds simple, but if your growth is measured, you know, you allow for adapt adaptation to take place. You allow for evolution to take mm -hmm. place. I, it sounds so straightforward, but it does reduce the culture shock. You know, if they if it can be done over time, um, if there's maybe a doubling over time, like you go from 10 to 20 and then slowly 20 to 40 and such things. I mean, you know, it doesn't always happen exactly like that because if, if an amazing project lands in your lap, you'll react to some degree as long as you've got that roadmap uh, you know at the risk of repeating myself as long as you've got that roadmap and those values and stuff in place you know that's great but um you know i've heard of people say if we do it in a more measured way sort of thing we can steady the ship so to speak as we go along if you want too much too quickly you know you go too fast and you can't break in time when there's changes or conflicts in teams you know, and also there's then a lot more people, a lot more finances in, at, at stake and such things. Um, so, it, it, you know, it can also put the put companies in quite a lot of financial duress as well if they scale far too much quickly because there's a lot of people and also they're not being productive. So, <laughs> go on, Arjun. So, something that you said, Pete, was uh, pretty good there. Like, uh, and that triggered a thought in my head. Like when people or companies are scaling really fast, let's say a new project has come in and they need to start ASAP on it. Uh, do you often feel that like a company would ideally want good hiring standards? And once that timeline kicks in that you need like 10 people right away, do you think sometimes company throw that out of the way as well, where like we are just desperate for people and uh, your gold standard of like these are the kind of people that we'll hire this is the kind of culture that we maintain that sort of goes out of the window anyone's got any thoughts on that hmm. Pete did you have something on that uh, no not really not not anything else not anything else to add I'm just uh, I'm just thinking does anybody else have any other ideas or no, I mean we've we've talked a lot there. To be fair, it was a it was a really good point. I mean we've we've got some loads of good uh, loads of good points out of that. Obviously, looking at the the other side of scaling, um, and we've mentioned a lot about the sort of management structure that needs to be in place, which actually transitions really nicely into our our next question, which is going to come from Arjun. So we're going to come back to you. Uh, if you can ask the the third question, please. Sure. So um, generally, like there's a lot of talk about building a good structure within the company. Uh, one of the things that like I found is that it's really important to have a solid middle management uh, where like you have a top leadership who have a very clear idea of what they want to build. Um, and it's really easy to find interns, associates uh, to grow the company faster. But I think that that middle management layer becomes very critical uh, in terms of trickling down the idea, making sure, you know, 
like uh, everyone has that kind of uh, you know face time with uh, leadership within the team uh, i've i've seen in my previous experiences where that middle management is not valued that much and like i wanted to like talk about what everyone's perspective on that is uh, the value that middle management adds to a company mm-hmm. that's scaling up uh, well, Christopher, let's come to you on that. So the importance of middle management. When yeah, scaling. I think we discussed it already earlier that uh, yes, if you don't have the right management, like leadership team and management team in place, you can't really scale because then everything will, will implode sooner or later. So you need a very skilled team for doing that. So basically, when you have a small team, you have a very senior like producer, development director, whatsoever, whole, like getting the team organized if you want to scale that to five to 10 teams, each 20 people, you need that actually per team. And if you don't have that, you can't scale because otherwise all of that will implode. So so it depends on what teams you already have and uh, and uh, where you get can you can get them from. But I always say you need to focus on building great teams to build great games. And the, man- the training of the management team is one of the keys imperatives of that. So when you basically start a new game, from scratch and you have a very small team only available and you know you need to scale it up later. Part of the pre-production is actually implementing team structure, team governance, training people on that and making sure they fully understand and breathe the culture of this team and not just put people on the job and now now go for content delivery. That will implode sooner or later. And that's the reason why a lot of AAA games suddenly do not cost 50 but 200 million because of exactly that problem. And when you then work in a in a hybrid environment or multi-location environment, that then it, it becomes even more difficult because when everybody is still in the same com- building, a lot of communication happens by chance organically. But if uh, people are working all over the place, you need to have much, much better communication management. And then it shows if you have an experienced leadership team or not, basically. And most people are not well trained on that. Most people are more like craft experts growing over time and then being an excellent artist, being an excellent game designer, but not really being a well-trained manager. And management is nothing you quickly learn uh, as a side mission. It's a lifelong journey where you need to study for, where you need to train, where you need to read a lot of materials. It's nothing you just do as a quick side thing. Management is not, and leadership is nothing where you grow into and suddenly you can do that. It requires dedicated training. Yeah, great couple of points. And I kind of, Arjun, I want to add something to your question because uh, <coughs> like Christopher said, we, we spoke a lot around middle management as well. But one thing we haven't discussed is the importance of like TA teams or HR teams when, when scaling. Obviously, if you yeah. go from a company of like, you know, 10, 20 to then 100 and odd people with the same size TA team. Uh, that's a hell of a job for, for like one or two uh, two people. So does anyone have any thoughts on like the importance of that or any any comments within TAs or recruitment? I Well, I think it's important that, that hiring managers don't keep them, don't keep a barrier to them. Have them with the team and share as much information as you can do. Because quite often, and I don't think this is much of a problem now. I've not been directly in the game for for several years now, but even then, I saw it changing where there, there was more um, willingness and eagerness even to work with work with talent acquisition people or um, or uh, you know recruiters. But the, you know, when you keep them at arm's length, you'll get candidates that are 
you know, a, a, a distance away from the ideal that you want. Because the interesting thing I always used to say to people, I said, yeah, you've got the job description, you've got the bullet point stuff on the website or whatever. But you know what people ask me? They ask me the stuff that comes up in conversation and you probably talk to about with employees, They, you know, things like, well, you know, what, what's the culture like here? Or, you know, how do we go about making these kind of creative decisions? I mean, you know, what input to have? How, how do we resolve conflicts? You know, those are the kind of things that, that you know, should be talked about, I think, with, with, with recruiters, because those are the kind of stuff that will come up, not just things like, hey, we're doing this game, it's AAA, we need 50, 50 heads to fill, and I want the technical artist to know max and max scripts or something like that you know it's kind of actually well here's here's the culture here's how we go about building the game here's how we value using technical art as an example why do you talk to our technical artist he can tell you what he looks for but he can also tell you how he works and what kind of person fits and what kind of person doesn't fit what would you know, what's good and perhaps some of the development areas of the company that's the stuff that gets people interested and that will help get them in the door but the the recruiters need that input from the hiring managers so don't and we have exactly the same thing with outsource as well where you know our partners are not just outsource providers they're very much treated like co-development partners and all the information that we share internally all the communication channels everything we have the, the way we treat our internal staff we treat our co-development partners exactly the same uh, one it seems like the right thing to do. Two, we get much better results from people because it's more inclusive that way. Um, and I think it should be the same for people who work in talent and human resources. You know, the more knowledge is power, right? So mm, I can definitely second that, by the way. <laughs> obviously, working in uh, working in recruitment, I don't think I've ever resourced the job by just looking at a job description. We always work with like hiring managers and TA departments to, to talk about culture and team fit and things. So uh, I 100% second that. Nicole, what about yourself? Any experience with like working with middle management, the importance of it in scaling and, and TA departments? Yeah, no, definitely. Just coming back a little bit before talking about uh, TA and recruitment, mm -hmm. I believe like uh, as more as you scale your, your, your net, it becomes much, much bigger. And like you just said, like uh, knowledge is power, you know, and, uh, and you have, you have to empower your, your nets to, 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 to be able to, to have, a, to don't lose the foundations, you know, so I believe the middle management is a key piece on these, uh, on, on, on to, to, to make this happen, you know, like uh, to carry over the, the visions and the values of the, not only on the company, but also in, inside the teams. And uh, we recently, we redesigned our career path and uh, the, the organ and the product madness. And uh, we included a, more we included four different attributes other than the craft because uh, like a culture and influence because we believe that is a uh, it's really really important you know again to, to make sure this foundation is strong and doesn't matter if people leave the company or how big it is we still carrying over the same values, you know, and I think this reflects, of course, on, on the T-way, 100%, because, uh, again, uh, uh, the craft is easy, right? It's uh, pretty much 
the same, but uh, the the match on the culture is what makes the difference on the for a good hire, and um, and and I believe we we all know how much it costs not only in terms of uh, uh, money but like in terms of impact on the on the team, you know. Yeah, go, go, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the other things I was going to mention about a good middle manager as well is, um, I am using the word balance a lot here, but it's somebody who doesn't just push down to the team as well or just, just pass on requests from upper management, but somebody who, and this is where Chris, Christoph said about the training and the experience comes into play as well. But as they start to become time served, those good managers also know, when should I be pushing down? And when should I be pushing up? And you know, where do I preserve the team health versus like the com the company or project goals? And that's an uh, that that's a tightrope. You know, is the best way I describe it. I mean, I don't know if everyone else would would agree with that, but it, you you're never exactly on. You're always teetering between the two. And I think somebody who is effective in their role knows what to let roll down and what to push back up as well. Um, you know, with the right communication styles, which, you know, you know, you adapt to the culture to a certain extent, provided it's not toxic or, you know, unsafe, of course. But um, but I, I I think that I think that's really important, getting that getting that balance between the two, because then you'll have the respect and the understanding of your leads, but also the team who's working with you thinks, OK, well, for want of a better term, you're playing fair here rather than just everything being thrown on top of us, because it might you know, my limited experience, you know, teams who just have things piled on them, they either leave or they become disgruntled and you, you don't have their respect. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant. A uh, couple of answers from everyone there. Oh, go on, Nicole, do you want to come back in before we move on quickly? Yeah, just a, a last thing to, to add, because I love when you that you're speaking, talking a lot about a balance because of, in, in, there's another important factor that is uh, your the skill set of your your team. You know, uh, to have this nice balance. And again, back to the my first question about diversity. You know, uh, the same time that you want someone, people who cares over the the culture and the vision of the company, you also want a balanced team, like with people adding in different. Uh, different fronts so you can have a very very interesting more productive more interesting uh, output from from it as well and and again then in this case ta is is very important you know because <laughs> you might be hiring for the same position but you might ask for different you're looking for different people you know so yeah, yeah. No, great point. Well, Arden, thank you very much for the question. Uh, nice. Really good question. Got some good discussion out of that. Um, we'll move on to our, our last question then. And we've absolutely flown through these. Uh, it's going to come from Christopher. So, Christopher, please, could you give us the last question? Yeah, so my, my question would be about uh, team uh, scaling and velocity. So how to balance the speed with scale? So uh, like a lot of teams lose out their speed when uh, with delivery when they scale up the teams. And that's often paired with more processes. 
and uh, what can you do about it and uh, what if can that have an impact on the team speeds when you start scaling up mm. yeah we've, we've spoke about it a little bit as well um what what would be your thoughts Christopher obviously you've scaled uh, remedy quite a lot as well uh, so you've got some experience it's uh, I think good processes are required even in small teams the thing is you, you scale teams up in order to build something you can't build with a small team. That's the reason why I do that. And uh, obviously there comes some level of complexity, like a lack of predictability. And the biggest problem you have with large scale teams is that you understand your project structure well enough and you break your team down into smaller, highly efficient strike teams that have as little dependencies to other strike teams. And that's actually, that's the art of breaking down a project. And that's very difficult because you, if you do that wrong, you will create a lot of interdependencies between the different sub teams and that kills the velocity. So it's not so much about the uh, the actual process in itself. It's about the wrong team structure you implement. Something like if, if you have a data pipeline that goes through multiple sub teams in parallel and then people are starting to wait for each other all the time and don't have it under control anymore. That's really one of the key problems. So, so you need to have a proper pre-production when your team is still small. You need to have a very good understanding of what is your product structure and the technology used for that. And then break the team down in smaller sub-teams along the main pipelines of the game to produce as little interdependencies between these project teams. And that's very difficult to do and most teams are failing with that. Because this is actually the real velocity killer that people are blocking each other, waiting for each other all the time. Mm -hmm. Like there's this cinematics team waiting for the script that never gets finished or stuff like that, actually. And mm. that's the key thing. So this is where you need to put in a lot of brain juice when you're in pre-production stages, I would say. I think that uh, feeds, um, I don't know if people will agree with me, but that, that obviously feeds into how you approach agile development and you have these cells in different areas where they, they have, and again, it's that idea of you'll have a producer working with a crack team on, let's use cinematics or, or UI a, a, as an example, and they're allowed to get on with what they're doing and may have that may have team members rather than just having the programming team as a block. Yes, you'll have mm -hmm. one, but then you'll have a programmer with the UI team. You'll have a, I'm just using this as an example, you'll have a programmer maybe with the tech art team, you know, even if it's just to give them a hand where, as Christoph said, they're not getting blocked because it can just be one piece that's out but then if it's in series the whole thing falls apart and this is where when applied properly agile and i know I, I, a lot of people i speak to have, have mixed mixed feelings about i think most projects are a mix of agile and waterfall depending on how you approach it but um, this is where agile helps you mm. know yeah, you can have these sections uh, in terms of how your team's how your team is structured yep. Yep. Uh, where people can just go out and do work on those individual parts. I mean, it's it's like this huge project is hyper complex, so you want to break it down in smaller, less more tangible problems. Yeah. And then yeah. if you do that agile in whatever other way, but it needs to be broken down in smaller problems so that people people can take care of individually, and the and you need to break it down in a way that you don't create these big dependencies between the teams or as little as possible. And you can do that through project sequencing, intelligent roadmaps, proper pre-production and all of that kind of stuff. Because then the team can run smoothly. Yeah. Are you... Go on, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, just a quick one to add to this. I I feel like uh, team maturity. It's also something important when you're uh, breaking down the the project. You know, because uh, it it will depends on the the way that you do it. You know. Uh, some things are very, very mature and independent, and you, you can you can rely 100% on them. But other teams, they don't have all this uh, confidence, and then can be a problem when you 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 break down. You know, mm. so it's just something to to. I think it, I feel it. It depends. You know, like uh, there is no uh, there is no formula for for this question. Uh, yeah. how I feel, basically. Mm. Uh, Arjun, uh, let's hear from you. So first of all, I think Pete uh, beat me to saying the word Agile. Uh, I think <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say that. But, uh, <laughs> obviously, like, that's that's a solid word. Uh, I think uh, that having that kind of philosophy, uh, because more than a process, I think that's, that's the mentality of the team where you need to work in a certain manner to de deliver stuff. Uh, but another thing that I think is important is uh, not like process heavy uh, because a lot of teams like hardcore work on implementing as many processes as possible. Uh, and sometimes I think we tend to forget that processes are just like mere uh, guardrails for us uh, so that like we have a direction, but uh, not like stuff that's etched out in stone uh, and not done just for the sake of adding processes. Uh, there have been multiple instances where processes are just replicated from another team on like a certain project uh, without actually understanding the idea behind a certain process. Uh, and if it's actually useful for what you're working on. Um, and I think if, if that's done in an intelligent manner, uh, some of these problems can be taken care of. Mm. A really, really good point. Um, has anybody else got any any last sort of questions or comments to make? Then, because I suppose it was uh, the last last question. Otherwise, I'm going to ask uh, one question that's going to be completely off topic. When we talk about scale, how big are your are your teams right now? Like, can we make a little round table here on that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I suppose. Well, you uh, you you started earlier, Christopher. But go and kick us off. What what's Remedy up to at yeah. the minute? Yeah, we have like 360 internal and like 200 external. So I would oh, say, nice. plus some outsourcing on top of that. These are the core teams. What's the um, the sort of time frame within that? Like, how, how much has it grown from from how much and when? Uh, oh yeah, I joined here three and a half years ago. We were like 150, 60, and now like quite a lot actually since then. So we had one and a half, two projects. Now we have five running in parallel, but obviously not all in main production. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, yourself, Nicole? Can you can you say product madness? Yeah, the the we we are in the the, the middle of uh, uh, some transitions in the company, but uh, currently we are around the six people in the the product our team, and um, yeah, nice. it's, it's expanding. <laughs> well, you've got a lot of a lot of points on scaling now, anyway. <laughs> after this, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Arjun, what's uh, what's Sega up to? So we have on mobile uh, live ops titles. We have around forty people working on them, uh, and with future plans of growing our teams further. Nice, nice. And what about yourselves, Pete? 
So I don't know how much I can say, but um, you know, since I've been there, the team has already grown by about uh, 30, 35 people there or thereabouts. Um, we have a few co-development projects uh, which are going on at the moment, which are going quite well, or quite a few. Um, and there's a couple of new IP which we are developing ourselves. Um, you know, one in particular I think is really, really exciting. I <laughs> That's I will not. Sure. I will say. I will say no more because yeah. But um, and I think they're. I think they're some time away. But uh, but yeah, they they look really interesting. I think if okay. we can pull them off, I think they'll be brilliant. I really do. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Looking forward Exciting to it. times at Lucid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christopher, one thing uh, you just mentioned there. You said um, you gave the numbers of the internal and and you said external as well in terms of like outsource or contract people. Um, it's not something we've actually touched upon at all, really, um, during the podcast. But from my own personal uh, just interest, really, as a, a freelance recruiter, that's my, what I do day to day. Obviously, in terms of building teams and, and things whatnot um what sort of importance would you put on obviously when you scale we, we speak to people managers you want to find the right people often that can take time there's notice periods of more months when you're talking permanent recruitment and it, it takes a long time to find the right people that interim is most often when we see companies use contractors um you know to fill the gap while projects are going on um what would sort of emphasis or importance would you say or experience with using contractors within scaling and we use them all the time also for long-term roles so uh, i mean we are doing co-development projects where we have a part of the team here in Helsinki, other parts in sweden and then individuals across all of europe and uh, it depends on if they want to be employed we hire them through like a proxy employer like globalization partners or something like that and otherwise, if somebody wants to be a freelancer, we can also arrange that. And that's not only to fill short-term gaps, that can also be a long-term relationship. So we have freelancers working for us for a longer period of time on the project. And that's a normal part of our team scaling. And I think since COVID came, uh, it showed, yes, it works. It comes with a challenge, but it works. And the most senior people we talk to are usually, I would say, nine out of 10 tell us they're not going to relocate anymore. They want to work from where they are because of family and whatsoever. And I believe companies who are not able to adapt to that, they will just not get that senior talent anymore. That's the reason. So so we, we adapt to that. We also have our rules, like having enough in-person face time is very important for us. So if somebody, let's say, is a freelancer working out of the UK for us, we would require him to come on site on a regular basis. We can have enough FaceTime with his peers, but otherwise we are totally open to that. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Go on, Pete. Uh, one thing, I mean, Christoph actually mentioned it again at the end, um, but um, one thing I was going to mention is, which we I was waiting for the right opportunity to, to talk about it, is that we're talking a lot about scaling our own teams or our internal staff. Bear in mind, you know, the reason... I have a job is because there's also those periodic scaling as well, which is another factor where, you know, that's if, if you do have a project and you just, you know, you just need to get it done or, or you, or you're, you get to a certain stage in your production and you're like, right, we know what we're making. We've, we've done the foundations. We've let that gestate for a proper period. We've got our internal team. Now we need infantry. We need support to actually just build some of the content. That's where you scale not internally but with third parties with co-development and most studios who are working 
well, most studios, I think, are doing some aspects of that, you know, for a number of reasons. I mean, Christoph mentioned there that, you know, 200, there's 200 people that they work with on an outsourcing basis. So that's quite a significant um, co-development um, function that, that's happening there. And that's the other thing as well, I'd say, know when you want to scale your internal team, you know, when it's for your culture and the long-term building of that company, and know when you need to scale to meet some deadlines, you know, and can, does that have to be internal or can you use can you use a third party solution? Because there, there's 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 tons of them out there. There's lots of companies that can support developers like that. The company I came from, Real Time, does exactly that kind of thing, as well as their pre-rendered cinematics, for example. Go on, Nicole. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, as a designer, I always say it's like it, it depends on everything, you know, but I think you made a really, really good point is that uh, uh, it depends on the, the for for us and at product managers, it really depends on the nature of the work and the, the deadlines that we have, you know. So you have to be able to be flexible enough to play around with different strategies depending, you know, sometimes you're outsource more of something, you have like a temporary contractors, you have to to like be able to 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 move quickly around. Uh, with different options, and of course, uh, after COVID, like uh, Christoph uh, Christoph said, is more than proven that is, it's everything. It's possible, you know. So so why why not? I I just feel like you, this flexibility is is the main key for for scaling in any any way, you know. And, and, and like I said, the uh, remote work requires even better management staff. And so that's a key challenge. So that's something we as a company need to take very serious, that we train our people on that and that we put enough quality management focus on that. Yeah. Pete, Arjun, did, did one of you? Yeah, I was, <laughs> I, was, I was actually just going to mention as well that um, something that is um, a debate I, I see happening um, you know, various places is, you know, how much, I mean, certainly we've adapted to remote working. We have people who are on site all the time. Some people who are hybrid like myself, um, you know, spend 50, 50, and then there's people who are fully remote. And one of the interesting challenge, you know, interesting thing that comes up is, you know, how much of your management or your leadership staff can be remote versus actually being on site and being a solid foundation for the team and i've got to be honest i've seen pretty good arguments for both i've, I've seen a lot of people argue the case for you know the you know the, the leaders the management the seniors as many as many of them who can be in a room together as possible because of those conversations that naturally organically happen that christoph said that don't happen or don't happen to in the same context um you know uh, when you're working remotely there's a there's a push that you know you should have a good foundation of those in the studio or in the same place if it means you have a satellite studio somewhere else but then there's also other companies like moon studios uh, where it's like hey we've been remote from day one nobody's ever in a room together and we do games like Cory and the blind forest which win awards so <laughs> um i i actually don't know what the answer is on that i think there's good arguments for both um i'll be interested to see what responses christoph Arjun and Nicole have, because maybe they'll sway me one way or the other. 
We've got Arjun. Did you want to make a point as well? So maybe you can uh, can answer both. Oh yeah. So uh, on the previous point that we were discussing about contractors and outsourcing, I think uh, especially in mobile development, uh, we 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 aren't very sure when we would need additional testing on stuff or when we would need additional uh, art bandwidth available on like a new like brand tie-in that we've signed up with. Uh, and in live operations, a lot of this stuff can go unplanned because it happens really quickly. And I think having contractors and outsourcing teams available to you, I think is a solid, solid weapon for us because it enables us to like quickly scale and then scale down depending on the need of the project. Uh, regarding the the other thing that Pete was talking about now of like remote working and how that works, uh, I before uh, this pandemic I was like a strong believer that like game development cannot happen at all if people are not around each other because for me as a producer I think it's really important that like I talk to people I'm around them just to get an understanding of what's happening on the floor uh, and I hated it initially because. Uh, like the moment we went completely remote, if I had to check in with anyone, that became a meeting rather than a conversation that happened on the floor. Uh, and initially, people hated that as well. Like, uh, initial feedback was that we're spending majority of our time uh, on meetings and on calls, and no one likes that. Uh, but I think across two years, uh, and that's that speaks like tons about our industry. Like, we've adapted, we've been agile, and I think at least on live operations, it's very much possible that like you could have a team that that's working completely remote with like interim meetups where people meet up, discuss new ideas. Uh, but for stuff that's cadence, for stuff that's live operations, I think it can be run remotely very easily. And a lot of companies that are purely live ops right now uh, have chosen that model going forward because it's a lot cheaper for the company as well, where they don't need to arrange a physical space for everyone to come and meet together and being remote allows those teams to scale up as well because they don't need to worry about like do we have enough office space uh, if we were to scale up our team to carry on with people no some some really good points um well I, I i suppose we've talked a lot um you know we've we've gone through through some really really good questions had some really good discussion so I, I think that's a really good place to, to end the podcast uh, for today as well um so what i'll do is i'll take this opportunity to thank every uh, every one of my guests so arjun thank you very much pete nicole and christopher i really appreciate you jumping on giving all, all your bits of advice and i hope for you listeners uh, you really enjoyed that episode so thank you very much and until then uh, we'll see you next time